India charts the truth about the markets. So today is a big down day in the indices but we are really not seeing the broad market break down as badly as the frontline indices. So that's the big uh, change probably in terms of observation over the last week but if you heard me yesterday I was talking about a potential bounce back but you must understand I also mentioned the risk to the downside because when you do a counter trend move it goes in a b and c and wave b of a counter trend move can often be pretty obnoxious and at that point of time there are also stocks that are often doing their fifth waves of the decline which have not really bottomed out that continue to make new lows and therefore if you are really trading stocks into wave b you often get stopped out which is why counter trend moves are difficult even if they are of larger degree uh, up to the point where you are actually trading the third wave which is the c wave where you probably get some unanimous move you will tend to keep getting stopped out of individual stocks or you know try end up getting them wrong unless you have very good trade setups also there may be actually trades on the downside in individual items where Uh, they may actually beat the index so that's what is possible and worst case scenarios that the index is forming an expanded flat and ends up making a lower low so that's the discussion i had in my morning video uh, with insiders which i do every day an explanation of how this may pan out there of course these are two different setups that can happen uh, when you think of a b and c Uh, in a, a potential counter trend bounce and you know the worst case is that you don't get one and the sell off continues but my sense is that at least we are so oversold that it's very very hard to you know be uh, overly uh, bearish without being cautious which means uh, you probably need to uh, limit the kind of bets you actually make uh, and one of the reasons so this is what i discussed in my cnbc interview yesterday i think the first part is there in the twitter feed which i've shared with everybody the second part of his question was the medium term outlook partly which i've already explained and uh, the second was its relationship with the dollar something that i've discussed over the last couple of weeks and i'll reiterate it that what we really seeing from all the central bank action that is taking place is an attack on the dollar and it's happening from various fronts which means that every country is trying to devalue their own currency against the others and it's almost akin to having a currency war a modern day currency war very different from the old ones where you know each country would have to actually announce a currency devaluation when you were on fixed rates but now in a floating rate environment all they do is change monetary policy or liquidity conditions and that then ends up having a direct impact on how currencies behave and sometimes because there's the speculative element in free floating currencies markets will tend to anticipate what lies ahead and so you have two main indices to watch one is of course the dollar index which ends up being most of the advanced currency uh markets okay so the advanced uh, market currencies or the developed market currencies are part of the dxy or the dollar index and the uh, dollar itself trades against them so it's a combination where 60% of the weightage goes to the euro so whenever the us does something take some action like it has done recently trillions of dollars and what did that really ended up doing is it stopped the dollar from advancing on its path and send it into a tailspin lower so the dollar was breaking out on the way up despite two subsequent rate cuts by the fed simply because the fed was not the only one taking action immediately it was followed by the ecb the uh, you know bank of england uh, also uh, japan should step in uh, in a bigger way you've seen australia step in uh, with lower rates and monetary action bond buying programs there as well and i would have thought the 
RBI would have come in much earlier, probably when we hit the 9,000 mark two weeks ago and bounced. Uh, but all we ended up doing over the last two weeks is forming some kind of an ending structure that stretched all the way to 7,500 on the downside. And uh, the RBI didn't come in even at that point. It actually came in only this week after we started to show some kind of a bounce back. So a little late, I would say, from the RBI. But it's finally taking that action. And after all, what they said in the Feb, Feb policy meet, which was pretty amusing to me, is that he said he needs to act when when it has an effect. Now, logically, when markets are in good shape and when you have free markets running, the economy is uh, moving and you take action of that kind, it has a direct impact because immediately affects, uh, you know, it reflects in financial markets. But now you're in, you're in lockdown. How do you really see the impact of what is a 75 basis points rate cut? So the direct impact is essentially to uh, only some segments. In fact, the more real impact is what the finance minister has done by allowing, you know, things like payments on credit cards to be delayed or uh, mortgaged payments to be, uh, you know, uh, at least in the US, to uh, those payments are being allowed to be made over a period of time. Those kind of measures are more direct hitting. And in fact, uh, what you would really want is transmission. And on that side, uh, for interest rate transmission, one of the steps that RBI has been taking is through the LTROs and it's already done over 2 lakh crores of bond buying directly in the market. So that step is definitely helped in keeping bond yields from spiking up, which I thought, as I mentioned, if they cross 6.5%, I would have had a view that we are going to spike towards the 10% mark. But I think they stepped in just as the world bond markets were into a freeze and panic. The US stepped in and uh, so did the RBI and they've kept that from happening. And so bond deals have not really taken off. And I think yesterday the announcements are to even allow foreigners into various tenure of government bonds, which they were not permitted earlier. So we are more or less opening up the market, something that we never wanted to do earlier, thinking that it's an unpopular move or a risky move. I think they're taking the advantage of this crisis to go ahead and announce unpopular moves like cutting off the PPF rates, PF rates and various savings rates, something that you would really not think they would do and they didn't want to because it's unpopular and loses votes. But now, uh, and that's the only way you can transmit, uh, you know, lower interest rates because unless you, you know, attack the uh, saving side, everybody really, uh, you know, ends up putting money over there and interest rates uh, really don't come down because then the cost of borrowing ends up remaining high because the expectations on interest rates remain elevated. So savers now become more comfortable with lower rates, allowing lenders to then move their spreads downwards and lend at lower rates. Of course, it's a completely different question as to when we are doing this. So this is so the unfortunate part of this is that if you really wanted transmission two years back and you did it when it was less popular, you might have it an impact of, uh, you know, doing this right away. The problem today is the economy has been on a weak footing, not just in India, but around the world. And when you take these measures, it simply ends up acting as a backstop to the current situation and not really having the real impact that you wanted to. So, yes, money is available, but credit growth is off the charts. It's completely collapsed. And because of the uh, recent event that is going on, which is, of course, the virus that we are all dealing with, with our lockdown and trying to you know, eliminate, that impact on the economy is what uh, will, of course, in the near term, keep the impact from coming. But the real question is, even if you are a normal situation and you normalize, say, a couple of months down the line, while it's possible you get money at lower rates, the lenders and borrowers might still be thinking twice because of either availability of uh, viable projects. And this is typical of the cycle. I mean, you've seen it 
uh, in the US uh, where they've gone through multiple rate cutting cycles whenever you go through a recession that it doesn't happen in one go it takes several cuts before you actually get the economy moving in fact in our own market if you have to go back all the way to 2002 we had to cut rates all the way down to 6.5% on the uh, bond yield before you actually or in fact i think probably hit even below 6% and the uh, you know housing loans had actually come down to as low as 7.5% on the fixed and floating at the at one point of time in 2002 before yields bottomed out and started to rise again and the economy started to expand again so that's a process we are probably not at the end of that road but we actually moving in that direction and uh, these measures while they come in the right direction unfortunate that their impact may not always be felt and so this is this is where i start getting a feeling of deja vu with what happened uh, all the way back between 1998 and 2001 which is that the Vajpayee government at that point of time uh, when they came back with the second re-election which was in the midst of the tech bubble so the first time around they took the hard steps where they did something like Pokhran we ended up having sanctions the market sold off for you know almost 6 months before it started to improve again and you know they were able to get some of those sanctions off uh, and then you had the tech bubble and then they got re-elected and right after re-election the bubble popped and then they had to deal with the entire decline it took almost two years of consolidation at the base even after the uh, market had bottomed for it to really pick up so all the measures that they took at that point of time were actually very very good if you looked at each budget each of them were forward looking and were moving things for example the road development the golden quadrilateral was actually announced uh, along with you know power reforms uh, way back in 2002 but still the markets did not really take off on all that news and by the time they did in 2004 the india shining uh, project still uh, lost the election so the thing is that you know people don't uh, i mean the markets don't look at uh, what is done they actually uh, are affected by what you've gone through and what you went through was a prolonged uh, you know feeling of recession uh, of a down phase uh, which even though they managed to turn around into the election Uh, they didn't get full credit for it which is what happens and the way this is beginning to pan out is we are actually popped what is a global bubble we actually had slowing uh, economic growth over the last 2 uh, years since 2018 which is when i wrote my last economic winter report and since that point of time uh, we've uh, actually not seen growth pick up even though the us markets were elevated at a higher level so what really happens now is that the uh, virus itself has been nothing but a catalyst in you know pushing the markets over otherwise there's no reason why you would have a 40% drop in the nifty or various markets around the world that have fallen that much or more only on the back of what is uh, uh, you know an event that of course has had a direct economic impact but some may say that it is temporary once this is resolved things would go back to normal so why did we have such a big overreaction and it really has to do with the fact that uh we were already overstretched the markets were simply holding up on one fact and that is liquidity injections that were coming in from the fed through its repo actions in october and so that was the only market making new highs maybe india did uh, because we did the tax breaks in uh, september raising hopes that we would continue to do something on the fiscal side as well at least i uh, and among many people whose hopes got raised but then those hopes did not get fully uh, met by the budget that we faced and then once the market to uh, started to sell off the cut off point really was the 61% retracement mark at 11600 which once broke ruled out the possibility that you could actually continue to make new highs 
So what happened in all that process is apart from these few markets that made new highs, many of the Asian markets actually did not because they were going through their own troubles. And now that we've been hit uh, by this event, uh, it has actually helped all these markets roll over to levels that uh, actually reflect the underlying economic strain that was already in place. And in fact, it's now bringing to the surface the pressure that comes from the excessive expansion in credit that has taken place in various of these markets in the last 9 to 10 years, something that everybody has known about as an issue, but really we've not addressed it or considered it significant enough. And even now, I think with all the injections that uh, uh, you know policymakers are doing in terms of monetary action, you probably believe that you know the worst is over and this once this once we hit the end of this road, maybe a month or two months down the line, things are all simply going to normalize. But my sense from a super cycle degree perspective, at least as far as India is concerned, is that you are now in a bear market. There is no denying it. I think the quarterly charts that we look at right now are significantly cracked, even if it's for this event. And uh, that breakdown really reflects that when you've broken multiple levels of averages all the way to the quarterly degree. So at the end of Feb, you've done it at the monthly degree, the monthly Indicators had crossed over, giving a clear-cut sell signal, which is what I identified in the uh, March long shot report. And now it's going to be the quarterly degree uh, that is getting into trouble. So uh, the super cycle degree bull market, which starts all the way from 1934, comes to an end because we've broken the ending pattern on the upside, a chart which I've already put out. And still, I look at a report this morning, which continues to indicate that market should be bullish from here. This is a worst case scenario because we are at 10 times forward earnings. And the great thing about forward earnings is I guess they continue to project themselves with earnings growth of 20% in the years ahead, something that most reports have continued to do for the last five years and gotten it wrong because growth never came in beyond single digits at the index level. Of course, there were individual sectors that did well. And so that trend continues and we know this year's hit is going to be much bigger than that if you just put away two months of Uh, any economic activity then rest of the year will simply be trying to make up for lost activity you really cannot come back to the same levels of growth again except for base effects so what are we really pricing in so how do you really look at forward earnings in this environment and say that it is valued or fairly valued in fact if i am right we are in the midst of an economic cycle which ends with a credit contraction which means you will also have a recession for the first time in india you will deal with negative gdp growth and when earnings actually start to degrow, uh, something that was not priced in in most of these forecasts is when even these P ratios and PBB ratios that are being used to consider valuations are good or bad, go for a toss. And that's something I think nobody prices in. Everybody looks at the valuation of the business as a worst case scenario. We really don't look at earnings misses or rather an earnings decline or a GDP contraction simply because it's never happened. You have a large public sector, uh, but this is a credit cycle. Now, of course, you can highlight all the positives that India has low oil prices like never before, uh, uh, probably least hit by the uh, COVID-9 so far, at least. So NCOV, as some people would like to call it, we've actually not shown the same kind of case counts or rate of case count growth. And if we manage to skin through the next two weeks, which is critical uh, from the lockdown scenario, if we don't get uh, community Uh, a wide distribution of you know the coronavirus then i think uh, we'll look much much better than many other markets but is that really the central point of all this so so my sense is that this sell-off like i said is not just about the virus the virus has been the you know 
uh, what do you say, the pin that's really pricked this uh, these bubbles that were forming in various asset prices despite there being no growth because of the liquidity injection. And so what really happens here is that uh, once we move uh, forward down the line, it's not going to be the domestic scenario or positives that will you know, be the only factor to watch. It's going to be the global scenario. So what do you face at a global level? Because we've more or less globalized. I think you cannot say that India is a an economy that is completely unaffected by what happens around the world. For some time, I think global, uh, if not trade, at least global travel is going to be affected. And economic growth around the world, which had already slowed, is not going to just pick up uh, at the drop of a hat. There are a lot of holes that will have to be filled and uh, the key place to watch is actually the, like I said, right at the beginning, it's going to be the dollar itself because that is continuing to indicate a deflationary scenario. And uh, so I compared the dollar index, but I didn't get into saying uh, the second one, I think, which is the MSCI Emerging Markets Currency Index. So what happened to the Emerging Markets Currency Index after the Fed injected more than $2 trillion? Uh, and in fact, when you combine it with all the measures taken by the US government, almost $4 trillion. And I think most of it goes to backstop what is happening in the US economy, just like most of what RBI and the FM have done in India goes to backstop what is happening in the Indian economy and to get us through this crisis. So it's essentially addressing local problems, not the global problems. And uh, But what's really happening is global trade coming to a halt, which is really creating demand for currency at a global scale. And uh, the sheer demand for dollars can actually push up currency, uh, down currencies against the dollar much more than we actually think. So you might get a short term bump down because of the central bank action. But once again, as demand picks up, uh, you're going to see currencies weaken, which is at least what the MSCI Emerging Markets Currency Index is showing so far because it's actually not moved at all despite all the central bank action. So that is the interesting takeaway that even though it is having an impact on the developed market currency rates, which is what the dollar index reflects, it's not having an impact on the other currency markets which are outside the purview of the US uh, directly uh, or what you would call as the euro dollar system. So uh, this uh, is where I think the risk lies is that various currencies continue to get hit and devalued in a deflationary cycle uh, and especially if it ends up stretching uh, for longer and so it will require much more intervention from central banks and each intervention is essentially a weakening of the currencies because what we are going through is an indirect currency war. So when you actually lower interest rates and you you know start buying more of your bonds or indirectly expand monetary you know, money supply into the economy. What you are doing is you are weakening the currency. So everybody is weakening their currency one at a time, uh, trying to get us out of this hole. And that is going to put downward pressure on currencies across the board. And sometimes when that happens, when various other countries do it, eventually it ends up having an impact on your currency as well because of the relative rates. And therefore, there'll be again pressure on the Indian currency because of that reason. And we ourselves may need to stimulate in, in future, may have to cut rates again and maybe planning, in fact, intending to do that. And the markets will sense it and always uh, move ahead just like they did uh, this time around. So if you saw the rupee, it moved from 72 to 75, 76. The premiums jumped to almost 1 rupee 20 paisa by the time the RBI was presenting uh, its uh, rate cut this Friday. And uh, the following two days, we've seen uh, the premiums go away completely and the and probably you have a short term top in place. So uh, the markets anticipate 
the USDNR moved up in anticipation and now is probably correcting once the news is done. So it's like a sell on news event. Uh, but uh, they will again start anticipating further moves ahead and that's what we need to keep watching out for. Also, when you go into a risk off uh, environment globally, the share demand, uh, I mean, for dollars from around the world will push the USDNR higher when equity flows and debt outflows start taking off once again. So we've seen almost 80 to 90,000 crores worth of outflow in the month of March. The big question is, can those kind of numbers continue? When you hit the next stage of the uh, crisis, the likelihood is that it can. And that's what I think will get completely mispriced. The thing is, as of today, we feel very, very comfortable with the reserves that we have uh, because uh, we can probably intervene to some degree and, you know, keep the volatility uh, from going completely out of sync but when you're in a global financial crisis uh, and there is uh, you know this complete explosion in dollar demand uh, for every uh, nation they're going to be needing uh, and especially the us itself is going to be needing a lot of, it, lot of its currency back for various payments it could be redemptions which is the simplest uh, thing to look for but uh, there could be many other uh, issues for example there are pension payments and there are a lot of pension funds that invest here and so on so we don't know the multiple sources of demand that will uh, envelop and all of it is not going to simply come out of central banks and so it could lead to a lot of outflow happening from various markets and the outflows can sometimes overwhelm and in that situation how far can the currency really go so the charts themselves which is my uh, lookout already indicate that we can very well head up to uh, i mean 90 has been one of my very very old targets uh, but what happens is when you draw a very long term channel and it takes a long period of time to play out the level keeps rising and you're already crossed i think triple digits as far as the top end of the channel channel is concerned uh, on a chart so the big question is not whether you get to the 100 mark. The question is how far out of that will you go? Will it exponentiate if the crisis goes out of hand? So that would be a normal scenario where you go there. But if you really are in uh, in a situation where, you know, the uh, dollar is uh, going through its own major swing uh, because of the pressures that develop, then uh, we would really be looking at a scenario where the USDNR would actually be running at a much faster pace. We would, you know, if we really intervene, would end up giving up all the reserves that we are really holding. In fact, one of the best scenarios for us would be that instead of holding these reserves in, uh, you know, uh, US credit, we would, uh, you know, in the form of T-bills, we would actually prefer to hold gold. Now, I don't know how much, uh, to what extent we, uh, the RBI would be willing to, the government will be willing to really expand its holding uh, of dollars in gold. Uh, which would be a big measure. A lot of countries have already be started to accumulate a larger amount of it uh, over uh, year over year as a practice. And that's something that even I think India should really uh, consider because if we reach that pressure point, that will be the only thing that will, you know, keep us uh, at a steady balance. Uh, otherwise, we'll, we could reach a point where you end up facing a lot of dollar pressure uh, that will overwhelm the uh, reserve situation that we are so uh, feeling comfortable with. You know, it's quite amazing how people respond to uh, something like this. When I'll say it is that they'll say this cannot happen in India. Uh, and everybody's read about that, you know, the uh, current format of currencies, which is uh, what we call as fiat currencies, which means uh, fiat by government decree. 
uh, in this formation we always uh, think about you know examples of well every currency ends up being hit or goes goes you know uh, uh, down the road to becoming worthless and then it has to re be replaced with a new currency system but yes the indian rupee no that's not possible and the reason people think that way is uh, and it is surprising uh, why they think that way uh, even though indians have been you know net buyers of gold uh, in a big way over time essentially as a hedge against their currency and the uh, other thing is that we've had consistent inflation in india uh, year after year because we are of course not the reserve currency of the world so our historical cagr for inflation is actually 7% even though it may have come down over the last uh, decade slowly and steadily towards the lower end of the range so we've dropped to 4% only now it has to taken 8 years of tight monetary conditions and i would say tight because even though we've tried to lower rates Uh, we've done so at a such a steady pace that you know it's actually slowed down growth from uh, previous cycles which is why it's been such a tough cycle uh, you know that growth has not been widespread and uh, uh, that has led inflation lower that has led credit growth lower and that has then allowed us to lower rates so it's not been a case where you it was an expansionary market where we were really lowering rates and lowering inflation and so Uh, these low inflation rates that we are seeing are an outcome of a uh, very very tight condition and moment we ease it a little bit the currency goes completely out of control so this is what we have seen in the past which is why this time uh, we are trying not to toy with it and probably you know uh, keep things tight which is good in the near term it keeps our currency volatility instead but the central problem is not what will happen with us the problem is what happens in a global crisis what happens when the rest of the world Uh, starts to hit the wall so you really have to go back in time when you make a comparison i mean the closest comparison people would want to make is 2008 india did not get affected but this is a very very different scenario and in india was not at the not at not in its own economic winter at that point of time so we are at a different phase which is almost 7 to 8 years ahead of the us in terms of whatever happens out here and so we are facing a crisis which they probably faced a decade ago or more than a decade ago Uh, but i find greater similarity of india to what the us faced in 1929 now most people think that oh it faced that problem because they were in you know over leveraged or they had a lot of trouble but i sometimes sense when you actually read about the roaring 20s that us was actually doing very very well it became the creditor nation to the rest of the world after the great depression simply because it had not extended itself at a global scale and its problems were mostly domestics which means it could be it could have been worked out so why did the us face such a big drawdown in uh, in its uh, uh, financial markets one of the reasons was they actually whoever was in power at that point of time allowed banks to collapse something that the rbi said it will not allow to happen the second thing uh, uh, which happened is that us had become part of the global economy so there's no way that you can not be affected even though you are more you have domestic strength once you have par become part of the global trade uh you there's a direct impact on you when the whole world comes down and that is what actually happened in uh the uh, uh period of the great depression it was not just the us it was actually problems started from europe there were some bank failures and uh you know things really spread all over the place and uh, the the dollar system which we are all used to today was not the reserve currency back then so the pound and uh, of course british uh, power was much stronger and so that was central and so that whole power shift happened essentially because of that uh, period of the great depression where the us had a better domestic position and a currency that it could leverage into uh, becoming the reserve currency for the 
नेक्स्ट सुपर साइकिल सो दैट्स वॉट इज हैपन्ड एट दैट पॉइंट ऑफ टाइम यूएस वॉज इन अ स्ट्रॉगर पोजिशन रिलेटिव टू द वर्ल्ड बट इट स्टिल हैड टू गो थ्रू अ डीप कट इन इट्स फाइनेंशियल मार्केट्स एंड क्रेडिट मार्केट्स एंड इट्स ओन डिफ्लेशनरी साइकिल विच इज वेर इवन इंडिया विच इज ओवर स्ट्रेचड ऑन इट्स डेट साइड ऑन द बैंकिंग साइड वेर बिजनेस इज नॉट पिकिंग अप रियली नीड्स टू रीसेट इट्स एंटायर पोजिशनिंग एंड देन स्टार्ट ऑल ओवर अगेन समथिंग दैट वीव बीन पुशिंग एंड डीलिंग टू डू फॉर्चुनेटली नाउ एज यू सी द क्राइसिस कम्स इन एंड वी स्टार्टेड टू कट रेट्स एंड डू वॉट वी शुड हैव बीन डूइंग टू ईयर्स अगो सिंपली वी डेंट डू इट because it was unpopular from an election point of view because if you cut ppf rates ahead of an election you would probably lose the election anyway so here we are taking steps in a crisis that will not get questioned but eventually moving towards the completing of the economic winter cycle but it's not going to be over in one go this is probably the first wave of selling you will get a bounce back at some point of time definitely but there will be a second wave and that second wave may not appear as brutal in terms of speed but uh, definitely could be uh, uh, you know uh, equally painful as the first one and take more time and therefore uh, it could be more than a year before we actually see any improvement and that will be india's own economic winter bear market that we will go through akin to uh, what happened uh, probably way back uh, 70 years ago for uh, maybe the us so that's the that's the corollary or analogy i may draw uh, with what happened back then that even though we appear in a stronger position uh, we will still be hit by what is going to happen around the world and it'll be a good time for us to correct and consolidate the problems that we've allowed to develop over the last 5 to 6 decades post independence whatever mess we've created in trying to expand and become a modern and mature economy we've also created a lot of institutions that are good for the long term but it has its own mess inside which needs one time clean up so that the next time around we can have a cleaner and longer run uh, ahead of us and i think that's what will happen and uh, uh, it's it will be you know uh, so the uh, you know bear market that follows uh, because of the global hit because of what's uh, because of all the bubbles that will pop around the world in various asset markets uh, whether it's the real estate market in you know australia or canada many of which appear to be overstretched if all those corrections start at the same time then uh, we will have the opportunity to actually take a lot of painful but good decisions not necessarily election winning decisions uh, but to think that uh, we are just going to come out of this uh, and this is the opportunity of a lifetime i think i still have an issue with that if we are into the economic winter cycle we've completed an ending pattern breaking you know having one of the worst quarters i think we haven't seen a 40% quarter uh, ever in the history of the indian market we've seen bear markets that have been deeper but not all happening in one quarter so there's nothing like we've ever seen before and which is why it is unique and which is why i think it's that uh, you know once in a century event which none of ever has really Uh, seen before and or ever witnessed or experienced before to really relate with and you really have to go back in time to come up with uh, an idea of how it's going to really play out so the place you have to look for is way back in terms of comparisons uh, you might even make comparisons with you know other markets in 2008 which went through the winter cycle and the debt contraction Uh, we might not find uh, exam i mean we did not go through the same thing in the previous cycles and to believe that just because we didn't go through that in 2008 it's not going to happen uh, we didn't have the same economic conditions back then the economic conditions in india today are now far much worse than they were in 2008 uh, whether you believe it or not a lot of the frontline uh, speakers in the media from the financial side are saying it's not the case but i think i would like to differ with all of them That's all in this update. Thank you.
Nothing in this podcast is investment advice. Views on financial markets are in good faith to expand your understanding of how markets work. Please consult a registered financial advisor for the same. And yes, please share this podcast with everyone you think can benefit from this knowledge.